Oh, well, I was, uh, I was completely emotional. Um, something that I've always wanted to do and dreamed about, and it finally happened. It was like, kind of at the pinnacle of my uh, bucket list. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 251, Johnston Dulau talks about mountain biking, mountain climbing, hiking, rafting, backpacking, and his plans for a South America motorcycle trip from California. Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to toss in a little edit here. Johnston realized after the interview that he was talking about having a weekly budget of $30 to $50, and he actually meant a daily budget of $30 to $50. So he just wanted me to throw in this edit to make sure that you didn't think he was crazy. Now on with the interview. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. Today on the line with me is Johnston Julau. Johnston was introduced to us by his brother-in-law, Christian, who is one of our listeners. And I want to, I want to thank Christian for uh, listening in to the show. I appreciate you guys forwarding adventurers to us because we always look forward to uh, talking to people and seeing what they're up to. So Johnston is on to talk about, ultimately, about his motorcycle trip. He's planning down through South America. He lives in uh, Southern California, and he's going to take a trip down through there and see the sights, and we're going to dig into that a little bit later. Um, but before we do that, I want to dig into a little bit more of your adventure lifestyle, Johnston. So you live in Southern California. You're an avid mountain biker, mountain climber, hiker, river rafter, backpack, backpacker, hiker, and obviously a motorcycle enthusiast. I think I left a few things out there, but that'll just about cover it. Um, you're an adventurous guy, obviously, right? Uh, I would say that, yeah. I mean, I don't want to call myself a big adventurer. Compared to other people, I'm probably not that adventurous. But yeah, in my own right, I think I am. Um, I live in Southern California, but uh, just recently, well, recently within the five years, moved into or moved to Central California out in the eastern Sierras, um, out by Yosemite, Mammoth, um, that area, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, very cool. Nice place. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah like I said, I've been, uh, I love, I just love being in the outdoors, man. Um, you know how that feels. So just got started mount, uh, hiking, camping with the family, and ultimately got into mountain climbing, mountaineering, rock climbing, uh, river rafting, mountain biking and obviously uh the motorcycle riding so yeah anything that involves being outside and preferably even with two wheels is uh it's my cup of tea <laughs> well i was talking to you before the interview and like i was saying i was looking at your facebook page thinking this is my guy man everything that you post on your facebook with the uh the exception of surfing is exactly the stuff i absolutely love to do like you said anything with two wheels i'm totally digging that um, hiking, yeah. backpacking, the mountaineering, the the whole gamut. So, I think it's gonna be a lot of a lot of fun, good conversation. So, so yeah, tell me I, about uh, Southern California. So you're talking about Yosemite area. Um, you've been out there for a while. So what are some of the the good things to do out there? What do you enjoy doing? All right, um, I'll start with Southern California. Um, if this up, we're talking about Orange County, LA County area. So uh, this is mainly the beaches. Uh, you got Big Bear for the mountains and a um, little high desert area close to the close to SoCal. But uh, yeah, but, uh, I grew up 
Well, I'll start, I guess. I grew up in the Philippines, and at the age of 14, I moved out to, uh, I moved out to Southern California. And from there, man, I uh, started just, I fell in love with the ocean. Back in the Philippines, we had oceans or we had beaches, but no waves. So coming into Southern California, like Huntington Beach, Newport Beach, uh, San Diego area, all the beaches were just beautiful. Waves were just phenomenal. So I couldn't wait to get my foot in there and uh, start trying that out. But uh, <laughs> kind of a funny experience. Well, not so funny because I almost died. But uh, <laughs> on my first day out, not knowing anything about the ocean, not having anyone to take me out there, um, my brother's friend gave him a surfboard. And this is a long board that weighs probably as more, as much as me, if not more. It's just like one of the original long boards that's made of wood. And at the time, I probably weighed like 100 pounds and took it out on a storm day where the beach breaks are pretty, the beach breaks were pretty gnarly. And I was on a leash and got out, took half an hour to get out to the ocean or to the where the waves were breaking. And someone yelled outside, had no idea what the heck he was talking about. <laughs> but I turned around, looked back behind me, and a, a bigger set was coming in. And I was like, oh, shoot, that's what he meant, a wave outside. Started trying to paddle, dude. Thing took me down. The wave just uh, dragged the board with me underwater, and I'm like slapping down at the bottom of the, like on the sand, just getting <laughs> dragged all the way back to the beach. And yeah, that's the part where I thought I almost died. But um, after that, I kind of stayed away from the ocean for a few years until uh, until a really good buddy of mine started shaping surfboards, and he got me out there starting with the uh, boogie boards, and then eventually into surfing. And then, yeah, um, that was through high school. So I fell in love with the ocean there. And a couple of my friends had dirt bikes, um, started dirt biking out. Um, fortunately, at that time, I wasn't able to get too serious about dirt bikes, only because it was kind of a hassle to live in the city and not having a whole lot of places to ride unless you drove like two to three hours out, out right. in the desert. Right. So I'm not sure that. Well, living in Colorado, you guys probably ride outside your, your driveway and head up the mountains, right? <laughs> well, it's not that good. Not for me. I mean, we still have to ride on uh, on things we're allowed to ride on, but it doesn't take me long. I can take a uh, trailer up there, but uh, it's, I don't know, okay. 15 minutes to a riding area. So oh, that's not bad. a little, little bit better than a few hours for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was, I sold my dirt bike that way just because I, it was such a hassle just to get on the dirt bike. And instead, a good buddy of mine that I work with introduced me to mountain biking. And <laughs> there's another funny story. Freaking! So I got this mountain bike from a couple Mormons that uh, that I lived with, and they were on a mission. And they were... <laughs> sounds like a punchline coming up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're. If you're familiar with the Mormons, they go on their like a two-year mission right. outside of there where they live and uh, just go around and experience life as well. But anyways, uh, this one guy, he was, uh, he was done with his mission, and he was done with his bike, and he wanted to take it home. And he asked me if I wanted to buy it. It's like, sure, man. How much do you want for it? It's like a, it was like, it was a, it was a Huffy. So it wasn't the best, or actually, no, sorry, it was a Rally. It wasn't the best mountain bike brand. It was a steel frame, no suspension, freaking cantilever brakes. So like the old school heavy mountain bike. Yeah. <laughs> so I got it for 20 bucks. I'm like, yeah, cool. All right. And then my buddy, who's been racing mountain bikes, yeah, I hit him up. It's like, hey, man, I just got a new mountain bike. You, know, you need to take me out. 
thinking I'm going to be all badass and stuff. <laughs> He's looking at you like you got three heads. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's not the funny part. He took me up. So he, I got him to take me up on one of the local mountains, which is a, it's about a eight mile climb to the top. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, we'll meet up at his house and we'll ride from his house to the trail, which is like two or three miles just to get to the trailhead, all uphill, of course. And we start off on the dirt trail and one of his buddies was with us and we start going. I'm lugging around this 50 pound steel bike and his buddy Daryl comes around and like, dude, I don't think your buddy's doing too well. <laughs> <laughs> I just had my head down. I'm like, I didn't want to wuss out. I just tried to keep pedaling at the easiest gear. I'm trying to pedal as best as I can and try and keep up. And you know, fortunately, my buddy looked at, turned around and was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. It's like, hey, dude, ah. Uh, doesn't look too good up there. It's probably going to get uh, start storming or raining. So, uh, yeah, we should head back. I let you out of it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you sure? Come on, man. We got it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not good up there. <laughs> so we head back. But, uh, yeah, that was the start of my uh, my mountain bike. I mean, from there, I fell in love with uh, two wheels. Um, got into dirt bike pretty serious. Started racing um, uh, cross country. Uh, my best finish was uh, second. Nice. Out of two people. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other guy was on a steel mountain bike that was 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, from there, I just, uh, just kind of progressed myself from uh, from all the different bikes. Went from cross country. When, uh, since I, uh, since the full suspension bikes came around, had a test ride on one of those and got that. Never turned, never turned back and got down the full downhill mountain biking. Yeah, I was looking at some of your stuff on Facebook uh, for the downhill mountain biking. You got some nice bikes there. One of the ones I saw was a Rocky Mountain Slayer. Is that your current bike, or have you uh, moved on? Yeah, that's a. I'm very proud of that bike. Um, that's my all mountain bike that I actually built um, built myself with the help of my neighbor. But got the frame, um, specked out all the parts that I wanted, and put it all together myself. Or like I said, with the help of my my good friend Dan. <laughs> But yeah, that was uh, I'm very proud of that bike. That's that's a sweet bike. Yeah, it's a nice ride. I think I might have had to wipe up a little drool on my uh, from my desk when I was looking at that. Those are uh, those are great bikes. I'll have to yeah. tell you, you know, the riding. You're talking about the the hardtail, the steel Raleigh. Um, my son is riding my 20 year old uh, Schwinn Moab. And he said, I, I can't wait oh. to get a new bike. Can't wait to get a new bike. And I keep telling him, I said, look, you got to put your time in on the steel rigid, you know, before you, uh, you upgrade in a bike. Cause then you'll really understand, uh, what you're getting when you get it. You know, you get something that's light and, you know, 20 inch wheels or something. And, exactly. uh, I said, you'll really appreciate it at that point. So he's grinding it out of my old 20 year old mountain bike. And, uh, I told him in the spring we would upgrade him, but at least he'll, he'll get a feel for what he's getting when he gets a new one. So yeah, Man. I think everybody's got to put their time in, you know? I think so. I mean, like everything else, you uh, you learn you learn to appreciate what you have after going through uh, some of the not so desirable stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and that stuff's not cheap. You know, you just don't just hand that hand that stuff to kids and just say this is what a bike is these days. You know, you're talking yeah, you're about a lot me. of money. Yeah, I got to work like three months overtime just to <laughs> freaking pay for my bike. <laughs> right, right. And the kid thinks, oh, I want a bike like that. How come I can't have it? <laughs> the old uh, man in me is talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about mountain climbing a little bit. I saw that you at least summited uh, Mount Whitney. Uh, any others in your in your bucket? Yeah. Uh, let me see. At, at one point in time, I wanted to do all the California 14ers. 
And uh, so we started kind of working towards that. Um, so we got Whitney. Uh, we did that a few times. Uh, we did it in summer, a couple of times in the winter, all the different uh, routes to get up there. Um, one that I'm really proud of is uh, Mount Rainier, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, started off with a, we did, we did a couple of local mountains, um, San Gregorio Peak, San Jacinto, uh, Mount Shasta, and then Whitney, of course, and then ultimately um, had some couple friends that offered me a deal that I couldn't pass up. That uh, I'll just, If you don't mind, I'd like to go through a little bit of what they did, which is pretty inspirational as well. Yeah, go for it. It's all about um, inspiration on this show. Yeah. So they came up with this thing called the uh, Transcontinental Triathlon. And I was like, what in the world is that? That's like, never heard of it. It's like, sure, tell me all about it. They were planning on kayaking from, uh, I believe it was Juneau, doing the inside passage all the way to Washington. And then from Washington, they were going to hike the PCT all the way down to Mexico. And then from Mexico, they were going to ride their bikes all the way down to uh, the tip of South America. Holy cow. Yeah. And they did it. Two years. Uh, it was outstanding. Um, I'll have to talk about that some other time for the whole trip. But anyways, they the deal was they'll guide me up uh, Mount Rainier since they've been up there several times. If I drive their car, it's kind of like their the transition car. So they had all their uh, their hiking gear and everything for the, for the PCT. Mm-hmm. So it's like, cool, yeah, I'll drive your car. And then... Well, uh, you guys take me up Mount Rainier, and I'll drive the car back uh, with all their kayaking stuff. So, yeah, sounds like a good deal. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's when uh, that's uh, we summited Mount Rainier. It's a uh, it's a great experience. Actually, the only mountain that I climbed that uh, embarrassed to say kind of te- made me teary. <laughs> no, I can imagine. No, <laughs> that shouldn't be embarrassing. That should be a good sign. Yeah. Oh, well, I was, uh, I was completely emotional. Um, something that I've always wanted to do and dreamed about. And it finally happened. It's like kind of at the pinnacle of my, uh, bucket list. So, or bucket list as far as uh, mountain climbing goes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. So tell me more about Rainier. I don't know a lot about it. Um, you know, and I've looked at it and researched it a little bit and you look at it and you think, well, what's the big deal here? But it obviously is a big deal. So go into a little bit of depth and explanation and let people in on uh, what climbing reindeer is like. Definitely. Um, there's a, I mean, there's, I don't know who must be 20, 30, 40, who knows how many routes there's, uh, there are to get up uh, uh, Rainier. But the most, more famous route is the, the, the Muir, John Muir route, I think, or mirror trail mm-hmm. and it just kind of goes through this little canyon up to the top and there's a hut up there and it's a uh, majority of what the trail or the guides use or take to uh take people up there um my friends being hardcore as they are he's like no nah, we're not gonna go that way it's pretty crowded and we want to stay away from the crowds it's a lot safer you know stay away from the avalanches and like rock falls and stuff that possibly could happen um hiking behind a different party so we went up a route called Fuhrer's Finger, kind of a scary name, like in my opinion, it's like, wow, the Fuhrer's Finger, like the Fuhrer as in um, Hitler, yeah. Hitler, yeah. It's like, shoot, man, all right, cool, whatever. And we get, it's kind of funny when we we're first starting, uh, trying to get our permit, the ranger station over there, or the ranger that we're trying to get the permit from, looked at us, is like, yeah, you sure you guys want to do that? You guys don't know. <laughs> 
didn't have any faith in us and after a little bit of convincing he finally gave us our permit so yeah i mean um just to give you background on mount rainier it's uh it's fourteen thousand, just shy of a uh, mount whitney it's like fourteen thousand three hundred, i believe somewhere around there don't quote me but should be pretty close to fourteen three. Mm -hmm. um and a lot of people use mount rainier to train for alaska um denali right right which, which from Denali they used to train for like say Everest or other 8,000 meter peaks uh, around the around the world. So it's a it's a pretty big uh, stepping stone there. Um, the weather gets pretty pretty intense. Winds that are just I don't know gust of 100 120 miles um, an hour at the top or um, almost to the top, and just glaciers and crevasses. So it's a it's a real serious climb. Um, not like the local mountains that I did where there's no crevasses, um, weather is like, yeah, it gets cold, but uh, worst case, you walk down and it's not, not that big of a deal. So yeah, this was, uh, for me, was a really big mountain and uh, it was, I was pretty scared, but uh, I trusted these two and they got me up there pretty safe. Uh, on the halfway up, uh, I was kind of scared that I'd have to back out just because uh, we are having lunch, or we are having uh, breakfast, a break, and my glove fell out, or flew off. I was like, oh man, I had two gloves on, and the shell fell out, or flew off. I was like, oh man, I'm done. It's like, without that shell, the wind was just like going through the through the polyester glove, or the wool glove that I had, and it's like, no way, there's no way I can do it. I can't, wouldn't be able to hang on to, uh, to my ice axe, um, wouldn't be able to work with my fingers at all, because they would have just froze. So fortunately, my buddy had an extra pair of gloves. <laughs> oh man, so lucked uh, out. Yeah, talk about being prepared. It's like man, learning a lot from these guys, from this couple. But yeah, they gave me their glove. Everything was good. Um, we there's a the three of us. We had our base camp. We got up all uh, uh, roped in, and the wind was just howling. It was funny. The my my friend Yannick's uh, wife now. She probably weighs. 100 110 pounds so she's in the middle of our rope and our little chain gang there and i could almost see her freaking floating because the rope the wind was blowing so hard the rope was like in the air just freaking blowing creating a sail and i could hear every step she uh, takes she's kind of almost floating <laughs> oh man oh dude this is uh, serious stuff there's like I, I got my ice axe i'm ready to just kind of get hit the ground and freaking uh, anchor myself down in case that happens. But yeah, um, yeah, they led me to the top, um, started walking around. Uh, we had our GPS. It showed the, the elevation and we're at the right spots. Like, man, and that's where it just kind of kind of hit me. And I started uh, just breaking down a little bit and getting a little emotional. But probably one of the, one of the happiest days of my uh, adventuring. Well, right on. That sounds like an awesome climb. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. 
With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Hey, if you haven't already done so, make sure you visit our ASP member deals site. It's at members.adventuresportspodcast.com. You can subscribe and get awesome deals on everything adventure. We're even including a free 180 stove with an annual membership. So check it out. It's at members.adventuresportspodcast.com, or you can find a link on the right side of the Adventure Sports Podcast site. It's a great way to support the show and get some great deals for yourself. So let's get into motorcycles a little bit. Ultimately, the uh, this episode is about your motorcycle trip uh, that you got planned down to uh, through Central America and into uh, South America. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you ended up in uh, riding motorcycles. We already talked about dirt bikes themselves, but uh, what about motorcycles? I think we also discussed uh, before the podcast that you and I both ride the same BMW F800GS and you also have the bike that I am coveting right now, which is a WR250R. So tell me a little bit about that. How'd you get started there? Yeah. Yeah, well, it started uh, just right out of high school. Um, like I said, two wheels started uh, taking control over me. And a um, good buddy of mine, uh, his uh, roommate at the time, had a little CBR600. And, man, every time he would drive up and down the street, we'd hear him, we'd see him. We were like, oh, my gosh, man, we got to get we got to get a motorcycle. <laughs> so from there, uh, he trusted my buddy to uh, rent his bike for the weekend. And he would rent the bike for 20 bucks for the day. And my buddy would ride it down, up and down the beach on PCH. Um, got to the point where he got comfortable. And <laughs> he would actually take me out on a ride. <laughs> As uh, as funny as that may sound, but it was still a lot of fun, so I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, after after that first ride, I was like, man, that's it. I, like, I, I got to get my own bike. And um, started checking around Craigslist, found my own little CBR. Um, I think it was an F2. And gosh, there's a little uh, parking lot where the guy drove the bike up um, where I was going to check it out. And First time I laid eyes, on, laid eyes on it, it was even better than the pictures. I was like, oh, dude, that bike is mine. I don't care how that bike is mine. I am not in good negotiating position right now. No, here's my money ticket. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, um, got my first bike, got my Honda 600, and uh, just the two of us started cruising around uh, learning. Unfortunately, we were kind of we dumb and kind of cheap, so we didn't take any uh, classes, didn't take the motorcycle safety course, mm. which I highly recommend to all the listeners out there that want to get started, start with a motorcycle safety course. 
Um, so yeah, we just kind of figured out on our own. A uh, couple crashes on his side later. <laughs> Learned from that, and we just kind of from there just had a little stable going forward. Uh, we went from a 600 to a 750 and on to a 1000 and then even dabbled around with a cruiser, which was a big mistake for me. <laughs> it was just too small or too slow for me after coming off of a, off of a sport bikes. Yeah. That's a big tra- change, drastic difference. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I was kind of thinking about my wife cause we had just gotten married. And at that point, I was already, like, I think I had a 750. And I figured, you know what, I just got married. Maybe I should slow down and uh, think about my uh, my wife. So I traded my 750 for a cruiser, little uh, 750 Honda Spirit. Oh, gosh, that's, that, <laughs> that bike was not good for me. Was, uh, we did a trip to Vegas, and my buddy was still on his, uh, he had a, a 900 uh, at the time. And we are going down, and... Dude, I couldn't get it to go over 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and I you're out in the middle of Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I was just Nevada. like racing out there. I was like, dude, I can't. Like I'm getting passed by a, a Harley motorcycle, which is not, not hard to do, I suppose. But I'm not used to it, like having a sport bike. I'm usually just like, yeah, let's go. Freaking hit 100, 110, 120, whatever. So that bike, I thought. So this is how I rationalized um, getting rid of that bike. It's like I thought it was more dangerous for me to try and push this bike to its limits <laughs> than if I just had like a nice sport bike where it was easy to go fast. <laughs> <laughs> Makes complete sense, man. <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I thought. And then, yeah, I got rid of that and got a got one of my most favorite bikes was uh, the Yamaha R1. Oh, oh nice ride. Yeah, it was super fast, super, super smooth, great response and just great handling bike. So, I mean, from there, um, and um, with the background, with our background of backpacking and climbing and hiking and all this stuff, we uh, hooked up with a guy at work that um, that rode Goldwing, or rode a Goldwing, and we started riding with him, and then we started started from, uh, like, a day trip, like, over out to Big Bear, up in the canyons, up in the mountains, the local mountains, and then I was like, oh, man, we should go even further. Let's, like, let's go to Yosemite. Um, Yosemite from SoCal or Southern California is about uh, about a five and a half, six hour drive. So it's like, yeah, cool. Let's go up there. We can uh, we can camp, um, and then we'll go around, go to Lake Tahoe, and then go around over to the other side, and then come back home. So that was kind of the first trip um, I did um, where we were camping. And actually, at that point, I had gotten another bike. I got the Ducati ST2, which was a sport touring bike, had luggage and everything. So that's a, that was my first uh, my first three day I think it was a three day uh, camping trip on the bikes, and after that trip, man, freaking just going through beautiful scenery. The Eastern Sierras, that corridor is just uh, absolutely gorgeous. If uh, if anyone gets the chance to ride that, coming from Lone Pine, a little town called Lone Pine, all the way up to Lake Tahoe is just beautiful. I mean, you're just paralleling the the whole mountain range. Um, it's probably about 150, 160 mile mountain range up to uh up to tahoe or actually that's a little further than that about 200 but yeah nah, i fell in love and uh that was the start of uh my motorcycle adventures um and then i don't know i'm sure you've seen the uh, long way down and long way around well that's what got me hooked my, my, ah. my wife made the mistake of uh buying me those books and uh 
yeah, at that point it was like, wait a minute, I can do this. Yes. <laughs> that's it's all over from me. there. That's the same exact thing. That's uh that's what got me started. And then it's like, boom, Alan, dude, come on, let's go. <laughs> that's when we started planning uh even longer rides. And then ultimately I did a ride. Um, I did a ride. It's a, it was a three week ride from Southern California to Canada and back, which ended up being, uh, close or a little over 3000 miles i believe nice in three weeks so yeah that was uh that was the biggest trip i've done and after that it was like it's like every quarter every three months like Al, let's go let's go ride we ride to uh glacier national park ride to yellowstone ride out to lake tahoe and ride out to death valley so we definitely put some mileage in our bikes and we were both hooked and just fell in love with riding Oh, it does. And, you know, half the fun is planning the trips at the same time, you know, that oh, we can go take this route or, you know, let's let's take an extra day off of work and go hit this piece. And it's just, yes. uh, yeah, I totally relate to that. I mean, once you realize that you can throw your gear, if you love hiking and backpacking, if you realize you can throw that same gear on the motorcycle and cover more ground and see different things in a different way, it, uh, yeah, it, the bug definitely bites you. I get it. Oh, yeah. It just opens up a whole new world, man. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> So you have this plan to go down to South America. So how did this kick off and when are you uh, planning on going? Uh, my plan to go to South America started when a friend of mine actually, if I remember correctly, I think he invited me. So I don't know. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> he may have not, but he may he may have invited me. But anyways, uh, he was he was never into biking and he's not a, an avid rider as uh, me and my friends were. But he had this idea that he wanted to ride his bike uh, through South America also. And he knew I rode bikes and he kind of hooked up with me. And we, like we started doing local rides um, to Death Valley and um, out in the Eastern Sierras here um, just for him to kind of get familiar with his bike. But uh, I'm pretty sure he invited me. And at the time, I wasn't able to go. Just uh, not enough uh, resources. No, no, basically, I didn't have any money. So. I had to pass on that. <laughs> yeah, it's not an inexpensive journey. Exactly. I I mean, I think the journey itself would have been cheap, but uh, having like rent and other bills to pay, mm -hmm. uh, that was probably what kept me from going the right. most. But uh, yeah, anyways, uh, so we started doing uh, little training rides together. And I was like, man, I really want to do this, especially following his blog, just uh, watching him like every week like going to different places, different adventures, meeting diff different people, and the food that he was eating. <laughs> as soon as he started talking about food, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm going. <laughs> oh, the food is what hooks you. Yeah, I got to say, you're. Uh, if you've been listening to the show, I don't know if you've gotten that far back, but uh, we had Alan Carl on uh, way back in episode six. In fact, uh, at the time of this interview tonight, he'll actually be uh, out in the morning uh, he comes back on the show to talk about it, but he, uh, he did, uh, a ride all th down through there and, uh, you know, around much of the world and, uh, did a whole book on the foods that he came across. Oh. And he basically puts recipes for every one of the, uh, the dishes, like the main dish that that country is known for. He put it into a book and, uh, and released it. And, uh, man, you, you talk about being driven by food, you thumb through that thing and you just want to, you want to dive into each and every recipe he puts in there. So. You'll, uh, so you should definitely listen to that one. 
Yeah, I think you uh, m- that might have just uh, planned my route. <laughs> <laughs> it could have, yeah, just just drive by food. <laughs> exactly. Like, all right, yeah, this looks good. I think I'm gonna have to stop there for sure. <laughs> no doubt. So, when are you guys planning on going? Um, my plan is to uh, finish work at the end of September this year, and then head out uh, either first or second week of uh, October, 2017. Okay. Okay. And I say you guys, but is it just yourself, or do you have other people going with you? Uh, it's going to be a solo trip. Uh, I had a friend that was lined up to go, but, uh, women happened. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Exactly. All right. Uh, so, which is, uh, which is fine. I, uh, I'm actually really excited to go solo. I think, uh, from some of my experience going solo kind of opens you up a little more to meeting more people and, uh, better experiences, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, we hear that time and time again about, um, you know, people saying, well, you know, I, I traveled in a group uh, through certain areas, but you find when you're in a group, you're, uh, pe- you're less approachable. People don't want to come up and talk to a group of people. Um, right. You know, especially somebody, you know, covered up in helmets and, and motorcycle gear. But you exactly. travel by yourself and people, you know, are very curious about where you're from, how far you have come and how far you're going. So, yeah, I agree. That's going to make it a totally different ride than had you done it with someone else. Exactly. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah, I do. Absolutely. So leaving in October, um, what's the, the route you're planning on? Are you, uh, are you planning on sticking to the, the West Coast um, once you get to South America? Or do you have a, a variation of that you're looking at? Um, for the most part, yes. I'm just going to stick on the West Coast of... Uh, of the Americas. Um, I was contemplating on, uh, kind of going on the East side and hitting Belize. But, uh, at this point, I think having only six months, I want to spend a lot of time in Chile and Argentina. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go down on the West side, kind of buzz through Mexico or buzz through the Baja. Definitely going to do that. And then cross over a ferry into, uh, uh, shoot. What is that? Over by Puerto Vallarta somewhere is uh, where the ferry comes out or lands, I think. But then, uh, yeah, then just stick on the west coast of um, Mexico, Central America. Um, I do plan on uh, staying a little bit longer in Nicaragua. I want to go surf in Nicaragua and Costa Rica, spend a few weeks out there. But in Nicaragua, um, one advice that one of my friends gave me, um, Jason, that did the trip, he said, yeah, it's, if you can learn the language um, before you do the trip and be as fluent as you can, that'll probably be, make a big difference in uh, the enjoyment factor. So once I get to Nicaragua, I do some surfing in the morning, maybe some uh, Spanish lessons uh, in the afternoon, hang out, hopefully be uh, pretty well versed in Spanish or Latin, Latin America Spanish, and go through Central America. Uh, haven't really seen too much other than uh costa rica and nicaragua uh, probably spent a little bit of time in panama obviously but uh yeah from there um i think you mentioned earlier uh you wanted to know how i was going to cross the Darien gap right so um this is actually one of the big highlights for my trip i think um having my friend um, have done the same thing there's a couple ships that uh they they'll uh, kind of Jack your bike up, throw it in their little ship. Uh, the one that my friend did was, it's called the Stahlrat, which is like a German a German ship uh, run by a German captain, I believe. So, yeah, you go get your boat on there. You travel, you're, you cruise around the 
the San Blas Islands for four or five days. You stop at these islands, you just kind of have a bonfire, you get, go fishing, catch some uh, lobsters and whatever fish you can catch, and have a little party on the beach. So looking forward to that, just hanging out on the on the ship, hanging out on the islands, playing around in the water, and uh, eating lobster. Nice. <laughs> just catching the, the ship and, and going down on your bike and catching the ship is enough of an adventure. That sounds fun enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, along the way, there's definitely going to be a lot of fun to be had. So yeah, those, that ship, uh, I think that was probably the best way or the most fun way for me to get across the Darien Gap and into Colombia. And then from Colombia, I just hug the West Coast again until I get to uh, Ecuador. Yeah, I was trying to map the, the geography of Southern or South America on my head there for, yeah, for a right. second. <laughs> but so yeah, you, um, You're essentially following the Pan American Highway all the way down, as most people do when they take that that uh, trip. Exactly. Exactly. So what yeah, kind of um, things are you expecting to, to see or hoping to see experiences that you, you imagine you'll have? Man, that's uh that's actually kind of a tough one. I've thought about it and I, I don't know if I'm purposely not doing too much research. I mean, there's a couple of things that are must see uh, on the list. Um, in Ecuador, I have a friend out there or a friend of a friend that we're going to connect this guy actually rode his bike from Ecuador up to Alaska, and then I met him at my friend's wedding. So I'm going to get in touch with him and hang out with him out in Ecuador. But uh, yeah, I'm planning to have my wife fly out and meet me in Peru so we can do Machu Picchu. Ah, uh, cool. That's uh, that's one thing that we've been uh, wanting to do for a while, so I think this would be a good opportunity. But yeah, there's a few things uh, that I've seen that I definitely want to see. Um, I want to do that death road in Bolivia. <laughs> Is that the one that clings to the to the mountainside? Yeah, it's just this freaking <laughs> cliff with a like a one lane road with freaking big old buses that go through it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, brakes don't fail me now. <laughs> ah, that's great. Founded and operated in Colorado, Catabatic Gear is driven by the premise that ultralight backpacking equipment should be made lighter through innovative design and advanced materials, not by simply stripping components. With intuitive features and the best, most advanced materials, Catabatic Gear's sleeping bags, backpacks, and accessories strike the perfect balance between ultralight weights and ultimate comfort that will change the way you think about backpacking. If you are considering lightening the load on your next backpacking trip, check out some of their award-winning gear at catabaticgear.com. That's K-A-T-A-B-A-T-I-C gear.com. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180tac.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. So 
what are you thinking uh, budget-wise for the trip, kind of on a daily basis? I've uh, calculated that if I can get by at about $30 to $50 a week, if anyone's interested, there's a – you've heard of ADVWriter.com, I'm sure. Of course, yeah. I found a I found a spreadsheet on there, which is pretty sick. You, know, you just kind of plug in all the all your uh, variables, put in how many how long you're planning to go, how many days, um, roughly estimated miles your bike does, um, estimated miles that you're going to be doing, and then it's just everything, and it calculates how much you how much you need to send or save by the by the time that you're going to depart. And it's really cool. I forget the name of the guy that did it but man thank you yeah, <laughs> what an it, awesome, yeah what an awesome tool exactly so when it comes to camping one thing i've wondered is what your ability to camp down through there especially in central america um are is there camping around or are you kind of planning on staying in hostels down through that area i've heard it's I, pretty slim the camping is pretty slim as far as the actual campgrounds mm-hmm. um there are a few like free campgrounds but uh, based on my friend's experience, uh, both uh, the couple and my friend Jason that rode through there, um, I mean, a lot, everyone's, for the most part, it's really cool. You can go to the police station. They'll kind of direct you. Uh, a couple times they've actually offered for them to stay in the, in the precinct or the jail. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let's get this straight, guys. <laughs> I do get out hey, in the morning, right? Let me in as a guest, right? <laughs> criminal. <laughs> That's free parking. <laughs> exactly. There you go. With, with the security, too. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. You, um, and you can ask, uh, like, even, like, uh, fire departments or little fire stations that they have. They, a couple of times that they've stayed on those. But, uh, yeah, I mean... In between, in between cities, uh, you can just kind of pull out and kind of find a deserted road and just camp out there somewhere. So, and then between that and the hostels, uh, plenty of places to stay. Yeah, that's interesting. I uh, I would never have guessed you could do it uh, on a budget of thirty to to fifty dollars a week. It'd be, uh, but you know, obviously people have done it and they're putting together these these spreadsheets, these calculators to uh, to show you that you can. So, very cool. That's very cool. So you're yeah. uh, taking six months to do it. Is that what you said? Six months. Yeah, that's uh, that's initial plan. Um, since I don't really have, I won't have a job to come back to, so I'm not really bound by that six months. Is uh, I guess uh, I'll go as long as uh, my funds allow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's gonna be one of my questions. Is uh, you know what are people listening in thinking, well, yeah, that's great, except I can't take six months off of my, my job. So you're just, uh, you're just going to go ahead and leave it by the wayside and get work when you get back, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know what? You live, you only live once. You gotta, I have a dream and I want to do it. It's can't, if I keep waiting for the job to let me go, I don't think I'll ever get to go. So it's true. I think, uh, I'm pretty comfortable enough with my skill set. And I've been kind of working through the last couple of years. Um, I actually did a change of uh, change of career just to kind of get myself more experience when I come back, and I'll have a little more opportunities to to go apply. Whether it's in the like I did a IT work for uh, 18 years, and then I got into uh, working at a power plant for the last three years. So hopefully, with the two of those combined, I can uh, be a little more opportunities for me to get a job when I come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll be fine. I think you're doing the right thing. It's a, that's a tough trigger for people to pull for sure. And of course the, uh, 
the deeper in debt or, you know, more family obligations with children and, and everything, it's a, it's a harder one to, to do, but exactly. you know, sometimes you just got to do it. And it's cool that you have a wife that uh, is, is tolerant of that, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's exactly. a long time to take away. I know. Yeah. She's, uh, she's going to be all by herself taking care of uh, our boy Cato, but yeah, she's great. Um, hasn't really given me any hassles about it. Um, she's voiced some couple concerns of just uh, for my safety and um, things like that. But otherwise, uh, she's very supportive and off I go. <laughs> and by your boy, Cato, you mean your dog just for the listeners, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so Some moms might be out there thinking, wait a minute, you're dead and you're leaving for uh, six months and you're leaving your son and wife at home. That's not cool, man. But no, he's talking about his dog. No kids. Just my dog, <laughs> which uh, sometimes is a little more needy than uh, probably some of the boys there. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true, but... <laughs> So, um, you plan on documenting this, uh, before or not before, but during or after what are your, what are your plans for that? I do plan on documenting as I go. Um, my brother-in-law, Chris was, uh, very cool enough to, uh, start a, or build this website. And, um, there's only a couple, uh, entries on there right now, but uh, it's uh, venture forth, venture forth tours.com that, uh, that's, going to be our blog site where i'm going to be updating stuff and it's kind of cool to have uh, some guy back home to uh to do a little bit of work on the updating side so we kind of talked about it and said uh i'll uh, take my pictures take my videos do my uh do my entries send it out and he was willing to uh do the edits and uh get the pictures uploaded on there and uh kind of maintain that site while i'm away that's cool so what is venture fourth tours about basically it's kind of a a dream of ours that uh, when I come back, hopefully I won't have to come back to a nine to five job. Uh, ultimately, I want to start a company where I can give uh, tours, uh, whether they're motorcycle tours, mountain bike tours, uh, help plan um, backpacking trips, climbing trips out here in the eastern Sierras by uh, Mammoth, uh, Lake Tahoe, and Death Valley area. So, kind of been uh, spending a lot of time here, and I feel that I know the area quite quite well, and I can. Uh, help people get out there and uh, enjoy motorcycle adventuring or bicycle touring. Um, yeah. For anyone that's interested. Oh, very cool. We'll have to check that out. Well, uh, and, um, yeah. you said you're going to post everything there. So if people want to uh, follow your South America trip, then uh, go check out ventureforthtours.com. I'll put that link up on uh, our show notes. Pretty great. Cool. Thank you very much. So do you yeah. plan on uh, going all the way down to Ushuaia or what's your, your end goal? That is the end goal. Uh, get out to Ushuaia, um, hit Tierra del Fuego, and if I have any money left, I would like to take a cruise to uh, Antarctica. Heard that's a, that was a great experience, but um, if I look looking at the the cost to go up there, if I book um, ahead of time, it's actually pretty costly. But uh, hearing people's stories, I guess if you hang around the port long enough, uh, might be able to get away with uh, doing a working cruise type, uh, type of deal and get there for cheap and do a little bit of work and still enjoy the trip out there. Uh, that'd be cool. How neat would it be to set foot on Antarctica? Not maybe uh, many people get to do that. Exactly. Yeah. It would have been the once in a lifetime experience. So hopefully I, uh, hopefully I get there. Yep. Absolutely. I hope you do. So I Thank assume you. you're taking the, uh, the GS down. Um, <laughs> that is the plan right now. Uh, and that's, 
that's kind of, that's been the plan the whole time. I've set it up. I got the luggage. I got all the protection on there. I've been practicing riding it. I've been like riding the piss out of it. But uh, I don't know, man. Lately, I've been thinking about a uh, a new bike um, to kind of change it up. Have you heard of the um, the Moto Guzzi Stornello or the V7? The V7. I've heard of it. I don't know what what is it an adventure bike. What kind of bike is it? No, it's a. Uh, it's more like an old school, um, kind of like a scrambler looking bike. Okay. Just a uh, small suspension, um, just low to the ground, more like a, it, they're kind of customizable. A lot of people do it up as a cafe racer and then you can put like big, um, dirt bike bars and turn it into a little scrambler, put some knobby tires on there, but it's just kind of like a more like a 1950s looking, uh, motorcycle. So I don't know. I've just kind of been playing, toying with the idea of uh, sw- switching bikes around. <laughs> I don't, I don't have that bike yet, so most likely it's not going to happen. But uh, I don't know. If I find a good deal, I might, I might do that. <laughs> good deal means uh, if I find good justification. I know how that works. <laughs> well, it's a lighter bike, and you know it's safer for me to travel on. I just pulled up a picture of it. That's a pretty cool looking bike. I hadn't seen those. Yes, it's a lighter bike. It's shorter bike. I can put my feet down, um, and I think it'd be a different, different type of cruising. It's just a, a different, uh, <laughs> it's yeah, you know. <laughs> you know, you, just, you always need a new bike, right? <laughs> you have to have dreams and ambition, right? <laughs> exactly. But no, I'm um, going back to the GS. Yeah, uh, most likely that's what I'm going to take. Uh, like I said, I already have it all set up with the with the luggage, the crass bars. Um, I got all the devices as far as GPS and power outlets, um, the tank bags, the tail bags. So I have it all set up and ready to go. So it'd yeah. be kind of hard to kind of jump from a, to a different bike. Exactly. That's the hard part is going to outfit a completely different bike with a completely different setup and, and try to maintain some sort of a, a sane budget on top of it yeah exactly <laughs> well that'll be interesting to see how it turns out so man you'll have to uh you'll have to get a hold of us when you get back so i want to hear the uh the uh the aftermath the post story of how this all went so i definitely will i'm looking forward to it yeah that'd be cool <laughs> all right man well i think that about covers it uh i appreciate you coming on the show and telling us about your adventure history and your future plans and i look forward to hearing about what you uh what you end up doing and experiencing and uh, wish you all the luck Yeah, Travis, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Johnston. All right. Take care, man. You too, bud. All right. Bye-bye. Past guest Gary Collins has just released his new book, Going Off the Grid, the how-to book of simple living and happiness. It's available in Amazon and Kindle format at primalpowermethod.com. Go get your copy today. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell all your friends about the show. Everybody deserves a little adventure. Until the next episode, get out there and try something new.